the Grand Finale. Yeah, we finally got all of the creme de menthe out of our bodies, I think. Oh, um, I literally, my stomach made like a nauseous turn when you said that phrase, <laughs> creme de menthe. Oh. Do we want to do an intro? <laughs> Is this not the intro? I thought we usually start with the uh, we don't do catchphrase slogan. We do that, we record that separately. Oh. Well, I was saying the finale. <laughs> Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic! <laughs> Recapping Mad Men, one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias. And as we were saying... What a great start. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the finale, everybody. We finally made it. Isn't that insane? Whew, can't believe it. Um, right. Doing a podcast is a lot more work than I anticipated. <laughs> and I, not that I doubted when podcasters would always say that on their shows. They're like, you know, asking for like you to contribute and stuff because they're like, you know, we're doing all this effort like on our own. I never doubted that it was effort, but I never understood the extent of it either. Yeah, it's just like before we went to law school and people told us don't go to law school. Like, you never doubted that it was a questionable decision, but you didn't listen anyway. And right. now you're in Until and you, you sunk all this time in and now we've got to finish. Or yeah, in a different vein, I always... I never had gotten poison ivy growing up, despite <laughs> despite that I like grew up in like a very wooded area, and I always thought people were being like a little dramatic about it. I was like, I'm sure it itches, like a mosquito bite itches. It's very bothersome. But then I got like a tiny patch of it, like and I was like 20 because I was staying at my parents' house over the summer, and I was like so miserable that after like three days I went into the doctor like thinking I must have had like a severe reaction to it, and they were like, no, this is just this is it, just it. <laughs> and we can give you a stronger itch cream, but there's nothing we can do. Gross. <laughs> That's brutal, though. Yeah. But anyway, we made it, and man, <laughs> do we have something in store. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. This is season one, episode 13, The Wheel, and so we managed to find a drink called The Wheel. Mm-hmm. And after weeks and weeks of creamy, decadent, you know, milkshake-type drinks just mixed with different alcohols, this is back to the, the theme of Mad Men, the liquor. Liquor. Um... I found this drink on a website called thecocktailproject.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, it, it's just really just an amalgamation of a bunch of different types of drinks from classic to not. You can search by drink types, by the type of alcohol, the by flavors. the occasion, and yeah, yeah, by the flavor profile. So it's got everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, this drink, I presume it's called The Wheel because it's going to give you the spin. <laughs> and yeah, no kidding. Get your shaker, throw some rocks in there. It's two parts, single grain Irish whiskey. Um, just use the whiskey of choice, but you're going to want a decent whiskey. Um, because that's Because it's going to be strong. Yeah. Um, then you do a half part Aperol, which is an aperitif, grapefruit flavored. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a weaker Campari, which if you follow like along, you've had, uh, yeah, you've had our Negroni Campari drink already. So you know that flavor profile. Then you do three quarters part lime juice and three quarters part simple syrup, and then to top it off, two dashes of absinthe. Um, you can find cheap absinthe now. This isn't like back in the day where everyone thought it was illegal, or even back in the show when they say it's illegal. Uh, you can find it now. I don't know if yeah. it's the real stuff, but they sell variations that do the job. That, um, but the job, it's just a normal alcohol job, and not the hallucinations that absinthe is sort of infamous for. So it, I suspect. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if the they sell. Wor- I don't know if they sell wormwood because that, that's the yeah. wormwood. I don't know if they sell that here. But right. You don't need it. What you need is the flavor, um, because it's a very unique black. It's a black licorice flavor, but it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anyway, you throw that all in the shaker, shake it up, pour it into a glass on the rocks, and you have the wheel. And it's really, uh, I mean, if you really weren't discerning, it's a, it's a whiskey, it's an Irish whiskey sour. That's what it will taste like, mm. which is nice, but like again, it. drink with caution. <laughs> but that is our finale drink, and it is a big one. So cheers. So this episode opens with um, Pete and Trudy at their apartment, and Trudy's parents are over, and they're like looking at paint swatches and wallpaper. Yeah, and it's very garish wallpaper, like a kind of really seafoamy green with patterns on it. That's what it looks like. So it looks like baby wallpaper. Kind my of. my notes, I wrote dope wallpaper. <laughs> See, we're gonna have a problem when we have a house. It's like, yeah, it has, um, like, powder room, kind of, like, makeup, um, old-fashioned, like, makeup canisters and stuff on it. And they, they, it is too busy for a bedroom, as they say. Right. Good for the powder room. (laughs) We'll never have a powder room. (laughs) Well. Well. And so they're looking at wallpapers, Trudy and her mom, and then Trudy's dad is talking to Pete and kind of trying to console him about the election. Like, it was never going to happen. Yeah, and he cites the game between the Washington football team and the Cleveland Browns. This is actually a really famous, um, I guess, just superstition mm-hmm. called the Washington football team rule, we'll call it. We know what it's called. Thank God we don't ever have to say the team name again. Yeah. Um, For those of you that aren't in the know, um, there's a, I mean, there's no other way to say it, a racist uh, team name in the football league, and it is racist against the indigenous people that were in our country. Right. But they've finally agreed to change it after, you know, massive uprising about race Since in Since 1921 or something? So anyway, the basic gist of the rule is that... Um, the basic gist of the rule is if the Washington football team won their last game of the season, then the party of the incumbent presidency would retain the presidency. Hmm. When the team lost, the opposite party would win. It was first thought of as a coincidence, but it actually held true from 1940 to 2000. And a variation of the rule was contrived to maintain the correlation through 2008, but both failed completely in 2012. And of course, every single superstition and poll failed in 2016. Yeah, because we descended (laughs) into hell as a country. But it's interesting that uh, Pete's father-in-law has this superstitious thing. You get the sense that he's not that politically minded. Yeah, well, their uh, new money, they don't... It's like Don. not entrenched in. might not vote, like yeah. Don. But, um, at any rate, her, her dad, then he tries to have this kind of, like, fatherly moment towards Pete, and Pete is very, like, uncomfortable by it, but, you know, he says... He's like, I heard that you... He's like, Trudy said you were up for promotion or something, and you didn't get it. It's like, that's one way to put the fact mm-hmm. that he drooled over Don's coattails and then blackmailed him, and then that was unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then he starts to kind of talk about he's an executive at Vicks Chemical, and they're looking for, like, advertisement for Clearasil, like the acne product. Right. Which, man, it's been around for a long, much longer than I thought, acne right. products. And that's a big get, too. And so, you know, they're kind of talking about the possibility of some business being exchanged between them. But then (laughs) Trudy's dad says the only family and business that should be mixed is the production of a child. Yeah, talk about a one-track mind. His goal this whole season has been to establish these two in an apartment 
and then start making the damn babies. Yeah. He's not subtle about it at all. Oh, no. Yeah. And then Trudy's kind of like, Dad, like, you're embarrassing us, but she's, like, looking pointedly at Pete, like, yeah, you should see, we be thinking about it, bro? While he first mentions it, you see her turn around behind him. Like, like whip, she hears, whip that. Which is a she's good like, little Ooh. subtle direction, yeah. And then, yeah, it cuts, and he's like, whatever. He, he's, like, uncomfortable and, like, annoyed about it. Which, yeah, it's awkward. Uh, we get an eye roll Got of disgust from Trudy. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's weird stuff. <laughs> but I think Trudy is kind of wondering that, too. I think she's like, yeah, like, shouldn't we be talking about having kids? Yeah. And we don't know if they have or not. Yeah, Maybe. but Pete but, is very hostile to the conversation. Right. Pete's just a hostile dude. Right. Then Betty and Don, um, they, they show you marriage a few more years down the line where they're just like sitting in bed <laughs> making grocery lists. Yeah. <laughs> what a thrill. He's reading the paper. She's getting ready for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. And she's like wishing, so it's established that they're going down to her parent, her dad's house for Thanksgiving and Don is not coming and she's like, I wish you'd come. And, you know, he's been a partner for like two weeks and he's already throwing up. I'm a partner. I really can't can't be gone during the big week you gotta use it i guess (laughs) but we've already established don doesn't want to ever be there with her family yeah because he sent them there alone uh the week roger had the heart attack yeah labor day right right so this isn't new but thanksgiving's a little different you know you would think yeah it's like one of the big family holidays here so um but she she's like I'm starting to think that you don't want to go. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Was I not clear about that? Like, yeah. fucking, of course I don't want to go. Yeah, and you still get the feeling that the way they're talking is... Tense. Tense, yeah. yeah. Not necessary. And she's, like, trying to, you know, bring it back to the family and let's reestablish everything, and you know. But yeah. it's... He's just not having it. It's kind of a... And it's kind of a recurring theme that we see with Don is that he's, like... Because he left his family, he's just, like, not comfortable settling in to, like, treat her family like his own. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he just doesn't want to even open up to that possibility. Yeah. So, it's left at that. She's going to go. He's going to stay. <laughs> Who's had to stay at work since um, having a little too much fun during the election is Harry Crane. Yeah. So, we're opening up with some isolated couples, we'll Yeah, say. some tension. <laughs> Um, yeah, he calls, and they do a great job framing the scene because he calls and says he's in Cosgrove's apart er, in Cosgrove's apartment, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's in the office. But that's what he's telling his wife, so yeah. she's not like quite as aghast. Right. And the call is, you know, they the show never does the two sided call thing. No, yeah, it's always a one sided call. Except you know? in the series season, series finale, they do. Well, that's a ways away. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's often one-sided. Yeah, so it's just the people basically You're watching their themselves. Yeah. yeah. And let's just say it doesn't go well for him either. <laughs> yeah. She, you know, we don't hear what she says, like you said, but we know that he's instructed to stay there and keep thinking about what he's done. He's literally, yeah, sleeping at the office in like a shirt and boxers. and. Yeah. So boom, 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 round and round. Three couples wanting to build on family. Three, one member of the couple wants to build on family, the other one not really having it. Yeah. Uh, and that's how the episode starts, with just three really brutal little vignettes of this happening. Mm-hmm. Don is called in the Bert's office. He doesn't know why. You know, he's all excited, but 
What does Bird have to say to him? They got in trouble because he put his dick all mm. over town. Stop putting your balls in the company ink. <laughs> stop <laughs> dipping. Stop teabagging the company tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess he he tells Don that he got a call from Abe Macon, Rachel's dad, and he says, and I'm sure you know that Rachel is going to be unavailable for three months because she's going on an ocean voyage to Paris. Look what you did. Yeah. But he doesn't say any of that, and Don doesn't get it right away. Or he's at least I think he's it faking cool. it. I think he like you can see his teeth clench. He kind of gulps. I think he doesn't get the Bert knows. Yeah, no, he's trying to he's trying to play it off like, yeah. oh, and for her health, did she leave? Like, <laughs> but again, we see Bert have just this almost supernatural sense of everything going on with you know the employees that he knows by name. Yeah, and he just knows immediately. He's like, I know the tone that this guy had. He's your father. Yeah, which I don't ever want this phone call. As yeah, a, as any level like, of employee, you, you can't know. just like bang the clients and then dump them. Right, and then expect to keep the business happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. yeah, and Don is basically... He just still plays it cool. He still just won't. He, he's not going to say, you know, you're right. I handled that badly. He's just like, okay, like, let's move on. He's so, ra- he's rattled, though. Oh, yeah. And, and Bert knows it. That's it, cowboy. Anyway, speaking of affairs, um... <laughs> Betty arrives home and Francine has been waiting for her, like, out in the cold in her car. Yep. And And she's distraught. Yeah. She goes inside and Betty's like, what is wrong? And she's like, I'm so stupid. And Betty's like, you aren't, but what happened? And she tells a story about how she, like, you know, had some pregnancy brain, got the brain fog going, and just, like, blanked on paying the phone bill. Right. Baby brain. It's an interesting I've heard it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. This article that I found is from 2018, but it says another new study finds baby brain is real, but cause remains mysterious. Uh, Symptoms include increased forgetfulness, inattention, and mental fogginess, reported by four out of five pregnant women. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't read the article. So I don't know if it's post-pregnancy too, but clearly the cool. symptoms could linger. <laughs> but we'll post it if you want to read the article. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, the thing that I'm getting at is that this seems to be an extremely common symptoms of Yeah, no, I've heard, and I've heard that anecdotally from women that have been pregnant, so. Right, and is Francine using it as kind of an excuse here for not knowing? Possibly because it's got to be humiliating and embarrassing. To, yeah, to, have to confront not. this idea of infidelity. I mean, what she didn't remember is just to pay the bill, and then it was when she didn't, she forgot to pay it, which is she, you know, she says it's embarrassing. She kind of had to be secretive about it because Carlton was gonna be mad, and I think she's made comments before that like give you the impression that Carlton would like hit her if I, we've already if he gotten the sense of well, he hit the kid early on, didn't he? Oh, he was going to hit him. More. Yeah. Oof. So, yeah, we all know Carlton. It's hard shit. to forget he's a terrible person. Um, I'm surprised he even lets her pay the bill. Right. And doesn't do it himself. But, yeah. But he also strikes me as that kind of guy that makes her do everything. And Also true. Which, anyway, that's what it seems like from the scene, too. Yeah. When she got the bill, it was $18. 157 today. I mean, it's hard to remember what phone bills were like before you were paying for cell service, but that's, like, more than... 
a cell phone bill. I don't even know what a cell phone bill looks like. So we uh, are lucky enough that yeah, we're still on the old family yeah, plan. Stick on those family plans until they kick you off. Yeah, so. my dad keeps threatening, but yeah, still but, here, uh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And and so she was like, "Why is this so high?" And she looked at the numbers. There was these Manhattan numbers, and she just like called one, and she was appalled that a woman answered. And not for a man, not like a secretary. A woman answered. She says to Betty, what woman would he be calling in Manhattan who answers her own phone and is like sobbing when she says this? Right. And you ever go to a certain friend that you think would be able to help you with a particular problem and then they literally don't know what you're talking about in any context? Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened. Oh, like, yeah. Why did I come to you in the first place? Right. Why I did I you think that you would know this? That is exactly what happens here. Betty... I mean, she goes, she goes over oh, ten, basically, oh, yeah. from the field, she, it, trying to help this situation. She's like, I don't know if she's <laughs> playing dumb or really just that naive, but she's like, well, maybe it's a caterer and maybe he's throwing you a surprise party. That is what she suggests. She doesn't. It's not anything work related, but it's like that's like pe- Betty's like fantasy land life, like. Any man, any woman my husband's calling is because he's throwing me a party. That doesn't even happen in Archie comics. Yeah, it doesn't and Don doesn't even do that. Right. If she's naive, even if she's naive about what's happening, that that is not a, a legitimate. No, like, it's like way to make someone feel better. It's a most ridiculous yeah, example. And gives a ha. Yeah. Like a humorless chuckle at it. Maybe it's a caterer. or maybe he's throwing you a surprise party. <laughs> Francine is like, I was so dumb, like, he was spending two nights a week in the city at the Waldorf, and... Jesus. I mean, that's an expensive... New York City. ...way to maintain an affair, though. I tried to look up the rates, but apparently it's under construction right now, so I couldn't find the room rates. It's gonna but cost it's gonna 800 be, plus, it's gonna I would be, say, a, a Yeah, big, big spend. I mean, that's, yeah, it's one of the nicest hotels in New York. So that's, what, five phone bills? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, and... Then Francine kind of has this little moment where she envisions, like, a what-if circumstance. What if I poisoned him? And what if it's Thanksgiving next week and I just poisoned everyone? I poisoned the food, I poisoned my parents, I poisoned the kids. Yeah, and... It's this dark little fantasy. Right, and it somehow fits with her character. (laughs) One of the black humorists in the show, uh, I think. Um, Yeah. But it's also just, like, a, you know, complete meltdown, I mm-hmm. think. Oh, yeah, she's spiraling, and she yeah. she looked so just distraught when she showed up. And, again, going to her, who was her best friend in the neighborhood we've established, I think. But mm-hmm. who, yeah, certainly. Like, would seem, puts on the biggest airs, too. And, like, the yeah. most pristine personality. And so and, she assumes that Betty should know what to do because she assumes that Betty is also handling her husband having an affair. She doesn't say that, but she's like, I thought you'd know what to do. Right. Like, yeah. isn't your husband, like, you know, having all these affairs in the city? You seen your husband? Yeah. I offered to shower with him. Yeah. In episode three. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not joke around. My less hot husband is having affairs. <laughs> Your hot husband is certainly doing it. Um, and then... It's just a tense moment between friends. It's almost like this has not occurred to Betty. Or at least the stare down kind of looks like it. Yeah. But it's a brief scene. 
Because then the kids come back. Mm-hmm. Back to reality. Oh, yeah. there goes gravity. <laughs> and the, yeah, that's it. That is it. Except that she goes up immediately and gets the phone bill. Slips it in her little pocket. Yeah. For later to peruse and see who Dawn is calling in the odd hours. Oh, lordy. Then back at the office, it's the first meeting with Mr. Duck Phillips as head of accounts. Duck the fuck. <laughs> Duck yeah. the quack. Yeah. He's a real piece of work. No <laughs> duck <say>. truck. <laughs> he, he looks good, though. Starting yeah, in, he's got he's, a good three-piece on. He's ready to go. A pocket watch chain, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he looks good. And he's ready to get his ducks in the row. You're here before me or you're late. On clap, some clap. real, you know, mid-level mark manager power trip stuff. But he is, you know, being really strict with the, the rats about the rules here. and Right. That, well, he's playing both lines here. He's got to both, you know, establish that he's a boss over all these people and, mm-hmm. like, impress Don with his ability to deal with uh, the, yeah, yeah. the lower rung. Right, yeah, so definitely. He's showing his ability to middle manage, you could say. He's a little, I think he's higher than, he's executive. I know, but I'm just saying he's having that kind of power trip. No, 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 like, yeah. I think it's just an old school style of dealing with people. I Roger think. doesn't need to, like, go in and, like, you know. Which, we don't even know that Roger's alive right now. We haven't seen him in yeah, three episodes. Him so, anyway, we'll get to that at some point. But, but Duck, so Duck's initial approach when he's, like, he's, like, I have, you know, been looking at the agency now that I'm here, and you guys don't have a car as an account. You don't have an airline, and you don't have a pharmaceutical. And those are like the three big kind of prizes in an ad agency to get those big level, high visibility accounts. Right, and you know, a great thing to do is flash some extra cash. Yeah. Like right when you're coming in, like hundred dollar bonus. Bring someone in. Here's a list of people you can cold call slash stock. Mm-hmm. Slash find. Slash and go through your yearbooks. These you know. are the people you need to talk to. Exactly. He's like, yeah, yeah all you rich folk, go through your old yearbooks and, find some and dig up people. those connections. Right. And Don's going home behind him, 100%. Yeah, he's got to support his pick, and he says... Bringing in business is the key to your salary, your status, and your self-worth. And this is after Doc tells just the great anecdote about sitting in a steam room for an hour and a half to get Kodak to come in. Yeah. Kodak's unhappy with their slide projector or picture projector uh, meetings so far. Yeah, and so they're looking for some... So he's like, I'll do this. I do this, too. This is yeah. what you need Everyone's to do. Everyone's got to hustle. So then it's time for auditions for the ad for the relaxer that Peggy had come up with and pitched in the previous episode. So it's her and Ken Cosgrove, and they're like in the sound booth, and there's three women that are reading for the part. There's Annie, the beautiful, Rita, the Randy, and another woman <laughs> who I forgot. Doesn't matter. Yeah, she's out of the running. Inconsequential. Yeah. <laughs> which, which begs the question whether the other two are consequential, but they are to drive Peggy. Yeah. Peggy, and they listen, so they listen to them, you know, saying, like, I regained my youth and my happiness when I used the relaxer. <laughs> Peggy says to the sound guy, she's like, you know, I think that Ken and I are going to agree on Annie, which is the pretty one. And Ken's like, which one's Annie? But it's obviously a joke. It's like, you fucking know which one it is. The pretty, you know, the young pretty gal. Yeah, but he doesn't agree, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he... 
again, references Rita being having a voice that's randy and knowing. Like, you know, she's an older woman. She's got just kind of this extra, you know, maturity and sexuality to it. Right. But Peggy, Peggy's not having it. Because she's like, we're selling... We're selling a product that's supposed to make women feel, like, confident and beautiful, and Annie is beautiful, and so that reflects in her confidence. That's what we want. Cosgrove concedes, but he's like, I, you know, if we get a bad look for this, it's on you. Yeah. He's like, am I going to, like, have everyone be like, oh, Ken drove that and just picked the hot one. Yeah, exactly. But Peggy's pretty insistent, and she makes a decision. She makes the move. So then Dawn comes home late. It's like 9.30. And Betty is like, why don't you just stay in the city? It's so late. And she's sitting she's sitting at the kitchen table, like smoking, drinking alone, and just looks like really we, serious. <laughs> we need to go back and count how many times the show in the first season pans to Betty smoking with a glass and a bottle of wine on a table by herself when someone else walks in. Yeah. It's at least three times. And it's just not a happy look on yeah, her face. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he walks in and, you know, she asks him to sit because she's clearly upset. Yeah. And he, she kind of briefly recaps, like, her conversation with Francine. And she's like, you know, I never liked Carlton. And Don was like, Don agrees. He's like, yeah, you know, not my favorite either. Yeah, but Don's reaction to her first saying that Francine told her this, mm-hmm. it's like, why would she tell you that? And he gets a little perked up. Yeah. You know, the little what dog, are you guys talking it's about? kind of the same, like, subtle thing that Don gave Cooper mm-hmm. in that like, scene oh, earlier. Like, what are you huh, talking about? You actually mm-hmm. figured out one of my ruses. <laughs> so he's a little concerned. But, Bad, yeah. but it doesn't take long. He takes a sip of her wine, I believe, and mm-hmm. that calms his nerves. <laughs> But then, kind of, to Dawn, it seems out of nowhere, but he's like, she should poison him. And he's like, wait. <laughs> now, now. He's escalating like, really yeah. quickly. Um, but what, then Betty just kind of goes into, like, a, an emotional, like, you know, statement about it. She's like, how could you do that to someone that you love, that you have children with? And she's, like, staring Dawn down while she says this. But at this point, Dawn is like, I think he's, he knows that he's not directly on the hook, and so he just turns, you know, the the other part of his brain off, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Goes back into his, like, f- false sociopath charm. and Soother is, mode, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know how people could do that. It's so sad. I feel so sad, too. Yeah. <laughs> who, know, who knows why people do what they do, which is a really good line. Yeah. And he's like, come on. Let's take the wine. Let's go. Let's go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of just blow, you know, blows over her concern, but. Right. And then we get a really brief scene where we see the actual product for Kodak that they want new representation on. And it's we've all seen this thing before in one context or another, whether it's like in old shows where the scientist is showing like the science teacher showing like slides of here's the supernova. Bomb. Yeah, or yeah. Magma, hot magma. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some people had them. Yeah. You know, just like to show pictures. It's super old school, but yeah. as Duck says, it's like, it works really well, actually. It's actually a hell of a gadget. Continuous, doesn't jam. They call it the donut of the wheel. Expecting something along those lines. He's like, you know, let's like land this and you can help me look good. But right, immediately we see the wheel. And that's what they want it to be. They want it to be about the wheel. And they want it to say technology. Yeah, and 
Don perceives well. He's like, I bet that they're going to hear at every pitch, Kodak reinvented the wheel. Right. So yeah. he knows what so he, to he avoid and what's going to be too cheesy. Yeah. And, uh, but again, now we've got a reiteration of the title of the episode, which is important because, like we said earlier, we already saw this kind of circular, like, tour through all the characters' relationship issues. Yeah. Um, and so now we get this product that he's pitching. The wheel. Or the donut. They don't even... No one even, don't, no yeah, one no even acknowledges like, this donut. Right. <laughs> Call this thing a donut. If you can't... I think we all know that the American psyche, you can't say two th- things that people might take literally. And so let's yeah. just say, like, you can't eat this product, so let's not call it something at all. Yeah, you dumb fucks. <laughs> Alright, so Annie got the job for the relaxer. And she comes in, but when she's reading, Peggy keeps interrupting her. I love this scene. She's not happy with it. It's so sad. But it's such a good juxtaposition of Peggy and Cosgrove's outlooks, which we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she's trying to give her, like, these directions, like, are you married? Like, you should feel like you're married and you're confident and you're beautiful and, like, try it again. And, like, the woman's just getting kind of more and more, like, frustrated and upset because she doesn't really know what she's doing wrong. Right. It's important to know that Peggy says this at the beginning and Cosgrove says you need to give her directions if you mm-hmm. don't like what she's doing. Cosgrove, it's so clear, doesn't give a shit about it. It's really, yeah. Well, he's think, just there. He's, he's, like, like, he's like, you're not doing, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not doing enough to her. Yeah. yeah. And you're already frustrated and you need to, like, help her. Right. Which, if you don't like it, you know, yeah. get her to work with you. So there's like indication one, this is Peggy's first time. I mean, we all could have guessed it was her first time like leading this type of ad based mm-hmm. on what we've seen Peggy go. Um, but then it's just clear that she's never done anything like this before because of the way she tries to direct Annie. Yeah, and she's just getting more and more like kind of angry with her and, you know, again, it's in the sound booth so they can't see each other, but she's like, like, what don't you understand about, like, what I'm saying to you? And she's like, I am being myself. You're just saying to be right. myself. And she's like, then she's, like, crying. And then she does a, a reading of it when there's, like, tears coming down her face. Yeah. It's so, so you, sad. You see the two frustrations. And Peggy first starts with her directions, like, in that umbrage, sweet type, like, helpful voice. Like, with more confidence. Yeah. By the end, she's like, you're a married woman. You're <laughs> happy. You're slim. All because of the relaxizer. Why don't you get this? Yeah. But she's still not, she's not yelling at her. But it's, we've all had that feeling where someone's like frustrated because you can't get it. But they're still like trying to be like encouraging, but you see through the encouragement and know that they're really angry. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Uh, And it just shows. And you just see that scene of Annie with one tear come down her face like, I don't understand what you're asking. I've never been so happy until I got the relaxer. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, She, like, finally runs out crying after, well, no, Peggy tells her, we're going a different direction. Yeah. And then she runs out. We're done here. She runs out crying. Yeah, Cosgrove's like, whoa. And see, Cosgrove's like, he gives her only direction, like, when it's too late, <laughs> you know? Hey. Yeah, he's like, well, you, you could have done that in person. Yeah. But she, like, tells him exactly how she's going to handle this. And he's like, you're going to go out there, console her, and, like, ask her on a date or whatever yeah. you do. And you fucking farm-fed Vermont bachelor. bachelor. And then you call Randy Rita. 
Right. She's probably at home with the relaxer right now. But Ken is like, he has that smug look on his face, like, nice job. That's all right. All right, you know, you actually do know what you're doing. And he pats her on the head, which yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it's is like, that like is there, good job or like? I think it's like you know, is there a less sexual way I could relate to you? Right. Yeah, because he makes a couple comments to he. He definitely doesn't help. Because he says, when she's giving the directions, too, he's like, God, that was good. Too bad your voice is so annoying. Yeah. I mean, yeah, now at this point, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, they're not used to having a female colleague and right. they're like, how do I joke around with you? But even from the point of Peggy's ascent, which started, Cosgrove has always seemed to be the most, like, supportive. And they yeah. seem to have the best rapport through all this. Yeah, between so, him and Freddie. Except for when he hit on her in the first or second episode. But why I love this scene so much is because Peggy put so much faith in the attractive woman to pull this ad off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's just because of how Peggy feels about herself. I don't know. Yeah. Cosgrove knew from the beginning, and he says in this scene, he's like, Peggy, attractive women are never... The most secure women. Well, and that's, and that's, just that's like, what he says. So he's at the other extreme. Yeah. But it's these two outlooks that are both on the wrong sides uh, of the spectrum, but something the other person never fathomed, I guess, really. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Peggy's, yeah, like, she's projecting, you know, her own insecurity caused by the patriarchy onto, like, an external thing. She's like, I have been told that, like, beauty is like what gives you worth and confidence and so therefore I assume that someone beautiful should have worth and you know self-worth and confidence and yeah it's I also wondered if like part of the point here because she gets so frustrated so quickly is that you know she's got some hormonal stuff of her own going on right well it's possible she has like heightened insecurity and projection issues because of the visible weight gain we've seen through yeah. the show. So well, like, I, yeah. yeah. And so it's a it's a good idea to watch this episode and then take a look back on what you'd think what you'd make of this scene. Right. Uh, right. When you know what you know in guys, 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. The finale is a finale. Let's yeah. say with a capital F. Uh, but I just love that scene because it's just uh, there's a lot being said in a terrible terrible five minutes then don is like looking through because he's getting ready for this pitch with um the the wheel the slide projector he's looking through like old photos on that are on slide and he looks at the picture of him and adam and he kind of has like a you know a moment of thinking back and thinking about the past and he gets spurred to call to try to call adam to talk to him again even even after before the last time we talked you know he gave him money and said i basically don't ever want to see you again he has kind of a a softened moment where he wants to talk to him right and we saw adam take his life or die by suicide die by suicide the last episode it was a while while and then nothing was made of it yet yeah so they planted the seed in the fourth or fifth episode and slowly burned it in the background. And you kept wondering what this was going to be. Anyway, Don finds out. Yeah, um, because he calls, he just calls for him at the hotel and, like, wants a forwarding address, you know, wants to get in touch with him and the hotel manager has to be the one that tells him what happened and 
um, that he basically left a bunch of money for the building. The city took the money, of course. Yeah, Don's, Don's civil, too late. Civil forfeiture. Well, not civil forfeiture, but, you know. Another theme of concept. this episode and maybe this season, Don, Don's timing not always being perfect. Either. Yeah. Outside of the business world, we would say. Um, yeah, and he kind of, like, he, he kind of half, like, drops the phone back onto the receiver after talking to this guy, and... He's very, very upset. I, I just never want to miss an opportunity to talk about how good John Hamm is at uh, portraying emotion without saying anything. And mm-hmm. Portraying complex emotion without saying Especially, anything. Especially, yeah. Like, we've seen Don emotional in the show so far, but there's just so much going on and you just see it in his mind. Yeah. Cooking in this scene. So he's a man of few words when he's not pitching. So. Right, and his facial expressions, uh, they're just, they're the, I think they're the best of any TV actor mm-hmm. ever in this show. You can see them well because his face is so chiseled that they really just stand out. Every crag is a different emotion. <laughs> You're like a phrenologist, like <laughs> wrinkles in the face of Don Draper. Oh, he doesn't have any wrinkles. Just a couple of distinguished creases along the eye. Shouldn't even have gone down this road. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So but then Betty goes and she's she's got her little secret phone bill that she got. She's snooping around, looking at it, and she calls one of the phone numbers on it that has had a lot of like late night action from the Draper household. And, and she calls at night. Yeah. She calls at night when Don had called this number. And a man answers, and she doesn't know who it is at first, and then he tells, he says, this is Dr. Wayne, it's her therapist, and then she, like, her whole face just, like, crunches up, like, because she, I mean, she expected it to be a woman. Right. But this is also very upsetting. Yeah, is this better or worse? I don't know. It's bad, also. But, uh... Talk about being before the era of, like, phone scams, because he's, like, talking to a stranger and just throws his name out there. Yeah, full name. Answers the phone. Right. Nowadays, you don't have to answer the phone if you don't know who it is. Yeah, leave a message that I won't listen to. Cool. Good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Do music you have in your notes. Yeah. Yeah, the music Dark ominous tones. It's like, can you imagine that? Like, going to, if you, if you, like... Call the weird number that we had on some oh bill, God. and it was your therapist. My own personal therapist that you'd yeah, called. That yeah. I've been calling every week, no, that'd be like immediately after. Off. That's yeah. so dark. How, talk about like a gigantic violation, and again, like what could be more isolating than like your the one person you thought were wrong. being private with turns out to be not private at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even for you. So, Don, Don has been. He's been burning the midnight oil, and then he's fallen asleep on his couch. He wakes up, and he, when he kind of, like, goes out in the office, he sees Harry Crane in his underwear just walking out in his trash can smoking. Yeah, like, no, not... Harry Crane's not smoking. His trash, the trash can, can is smoking. smoking. But it's important to iterate how weird this must be in the office. And it's important to, like, emphasize how little Don pays attention to any of that. Yeah, Don doesn't... He just his his only concern is like if there's a fire, but otherwise he doesn't comment on Harry being at the office at midnight in his underwear. You he know. doesn't care. Yeah, I mean he, he woke care. up from drinking. It's pretty clear. Oh yeah, he's like and he's still kind of fucked up when he yeah. when he wakes up. But he invites Harry in. Yeah, he's like come over here, and he tries to start explaining it, explaining the situation. But then Don wants to just talk about 
he wants to churn some ideas for the wheel here. And he, they're talking about like photos and. Yeah, we get a little background from Harry. Yeah. He went to Wisconsin. He went to University of Wisconsin. He was a badger. My sworn enemy. Boo, Skyuma, go Gophers, go Gophers. Um, <laughs> Look at those two rodents combating each other. Every day, every, every day of the year. Yeah, well, badgers and Gophers going at it. Yeah, um, but so he talked about how, you know, he took some pictures in college, you know, some artsy shit, Don kind of getting But primarily a way to get girls is what yeah. it sounded like. Paper, but, yeah. But Don is kind of like laughing at him, and he's like, what, let me guess, like, black and white, you know, reflections of a tree in the pond, like, some art shit. And, but then Crane kind of goes into talking about, he did a series of, like, handprints because he was fascinated by the cave paintings. Yeah, of Lascaux, mm-hmm. which we've all seen these pictures. They're generally of bison and people hunting them, and they're like cave paintings. They're Prehistoric super era. Old. Yeah. Um, and like they're what they're what you see. I think he says they're seventeen thousand years old. Is that something that he says in the yeah, episode? Yeah, they're. But yeah, these were discovered in like nineteen forty when an eighteen-year-old Frenchman and his dog Robot, which I love, Robot, they, they were out and their dog fell into a hole and they returned him and his friends to go rescue the dog and went down a 50-foot shaft, which they originally thought was, like, a secret passage into the manor of that area, which is know, also feudal French cool history. shit, That's yeah. some fun shit. We're, we're big secret passage fans here, yeah. and so we're always hoping for a secret passage to show up. Anyway, what they found was... <laughs> one of my biggest disappointments in the whole show of Mad Men is that no secret passage. What a way to describe us. There's a couple. We're big secret passage people. Yeah, it's like Charlie's dating resume and uh, it's always sunny where it's just the weirdest random shit. Oh, yeah. We just said we're secret passage people. He like loves you know, he hates ghouls, likes magnets. Yeah, angered by knees. Yeah. Milk steak with jelly beans. <laughs> anyway. But what they found instead was this majestic, beautiful ancient like, cave yeah. series. Yeah unique like super specially preserved prehistoric art like it's never been seen right and i don't know if it's a like a moment of humility from harry or like finally feeling like don's addressing him more sincerely on his level but he's like just has a great moment of yeah like the, the, you know, the idea of the handprints in these cave paintings is that they were the sign of the artist, but what Harry says, he's like... But I thought it was like someone reaching through the stone right to us. I was here. I think that we've gotten the glimpses into all of the, you know, like, Rats. junior account exec. We've all had their moments of, you know... Glory introspection and, and yeah, depth. and also shame. And yeah. we'll get into our rat ranking. Ooh, that'd be fun to do. Yeah. Uh, next episode when we do our awards. But uh, anyway, it's an uh, interesting scene because this, like, you see that light bulb go on in Don's mm-hmm. head. Yeah, he's like, yeah, just churning and he's, you know, gonna come up with. But then immediately his head bobs. Yeah, he like passes almost out. passes out. He's like so fucked up still, and he, yeah. but he gets a little kind of emotional and like a little misty eyed, and then just like lays back down on the couch, and that's the end of their little brainstorm. And that's just this is another like Don thing where 
things just start percolating and percolating. So many different like plots and and thoughts and tragedies and like mm-hmm. disappointments are all in the same spot. And someone says something that connects them in a way that he can exploit to succeed at work. Yeah, and, yeah. But emotional and using that success as a way to band-aid over all the stuff that's actually happening to him. Yeah, emotional like moments and conversations to him are in large part just sort of things he can use later on as ideas to yeah. spring off of. Tools. Which is a unique type of sociopathy, I would say. <laughs> so then Betty is spiraling. We all wanted another one of these scenes, I think. Oh wait, no we fucking did not <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> Betty's like, they're, I don't know, they're leaving like the post office or something and she sees Glenn Bishop in the car and she like motions to him to roll down his window so they can talk and he's like, I'm not supposed to talk to you. And she's like, says who? And he's like, my mother and my father. I mean, he's nervous. He, yeah. Like, he, it sounds like he got yelled at for this whole thing. And he's, cause he's like scared. But she's like using this as like her emotional moment because she, now she knows, you know, she can't trust her husband. She can't trust her therapist. She can't trust her friends. So she's like, it's so, you know, Glenn, I can't talk to anyone. I'm so sad. It's just awful. And he doesn't know what to say because he's a kid. He sticks his like hand out. He's wearing mittens and he has those mitten clips, keeping his mittens on his jacket so he doesn't lose them because he's a kid and that just shows you how young he is. What a sincere gesture. <laughs> but what a like horrifying twist on the so-called like dream life of this era. Mm-hmm. Is This is like a well-to-do, beautiful you know, housewife, housewife rich man, beautiful kids mm-hmm. and here she is with the only person that she can find that might be sincere and honest with her is a kid that can't keep mittens on his <laughs> grubby hands. Yeah, no, it's and, so sad. And that gesture just kills her. <laughs> she starts crying and he's like... Don't cry. Please. Please tell me I'll be okay. I don't know. I wish I was older. But he's still worried. He's like, my mom's going to be back soon. I don't really know how long 20 minutes is. Yeah, and I don't... I, I think that's how long this scene feels when you watch it. Yeah, so but, she but walks what a, away. But what a great couple of kids... Kid lines, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that... We actually get some... Because the first time we met Glenn, the first couple times, especially the scene with the hair, Glenn seemed like this... Just kind of creepy... Weird kid. Weird kid. But in this scene, he's so... I don't know. He's trying. He's just trying to relate. Yeah. Comforting to... But something so outside of his depth, and it really shows you just how, like, um, how emotionally, like, limited Betty has had to be that she feels more comfortable talking to a a child about her emotions than people she knows. Is it that she feels comfortable, or that, like, she's fucking desperate and just trying to latch on to anyone she can to talk to? Right. Or, like... That she doesn't have to worry about judging her. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's as cold as the Thanksgiving uh, evening up there in Austin. So Pete pops into Don's office to let him know that, you know, he didn't even have to 
cold call people or go through his Deerfield yearbook like uh, Duck suggested. He got an account. Deerfield Academy. So he's na- name dropping. Um, Deerfield is another one that's mentioned in our trusty, or maybe it's the previous one that was mentioned, I can't remember, in our trusty official preppy handbook written by Lisa Birnbach in 1980. It is listed in the appropriate boarding schools. Um, chapter Prep with a capital P, the primary secondaries. The entry says that students learn good sportsmanships, which makes them everybody's favorite tennis opponents in later life. Graduates tend to get nauseously misty when reminiscing about the good old days. That's old Pete. Founded 1797. Yeah, so that's some old money, old New York. Right, which we've already established, Pete. Well, it's not in New York, sorry, but yeah. Anytime we... uh, consult the preppy handbook it has to do with Pete. Yeah. But we've already established that's like a chip on his shoulder. And he's like, I didn't even have to use it this time. Yeah. Because I have my father-in-law. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, is that better really? Well it is. I mean he's proud of it though. He's not embarrassed of it. And yeah, Cooper also gave him a copy of Alice Shrugged and Rand. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you you thought you guys probably all thought you'd be Really enjoying this post-election lax politics episode, but we haven't escaped Anne Rand yet, unfortunately. Yeah, Cooper's still peddling so that all we'll up and down going. Madison Avenue. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Pete is hoping to get some more validation from Don. He's like, it matters to me that you're impressed. Right, and we remember last episode where, basically, uh, Cooper said, you can fire him, but he might be... Uh, Mm-hmm. He might be like fight. He might fight for you now. Yeah. If you don't. Yeah. And this is so kind first, of to suck up to Don. This is the first scene of that where he's like, "I want you to know how committed I am to yeah. the company." And by the company, it's so clear that he means like to you. It's yeah. Working for you. So. Yeah. You know. But Don, you know, he plays it pretty close to the chest and says he is proud of him, but he, you know, you can see on his face that he's just like ready to rip him apart. Even when he tries to be sincere and throw back Don's lines like like he's listening, it's like, it sounds so bad. So forth and status. You said it. But Betty now has to go back to therapy with the knowledge that her whole life is a joke and a fraud. Let's dig deeper on this. Yeah. God. And she's wearing like a really like, you know, no-nonsense kind of dour like outfit a charcoal gray skirt suit with like pleats on the front you know she's it's business it's business now for her and so what she has decided to do and this is some clever stuff by yes. betty is that well if my husband is being you know given the lowdown on my therapy sessions i'm going to use this to plant the same conversation I tried to elicit out of him about cheating through the Francine story by planting it in the therapist's, you know, ears and therefore what he tells my husband. And how am I going to do it? Being honest, probably for the yeah. first time with your therapist. Yeah, and really kind of like actually reflecting on the reality of the situation like that, you know, Don, you know, come shows himself in some ways to be a good person, like with the kids and, you know not making doing some of the problematic stuff that husbands do in the relationships like of people she knows but other in other ways he doesn't really do a lot to hide his extracurricular activities and that sucks too 
Yeah, read one of your notes. Say in the paragraph that little parenthesis. Well, there. so she's like, I smell like he gets home and he smells like other perfume or worse. And I was like, what's worse than like another woman's perfume? Yeah, the the exact line is open parentheses, question mark, question mark, puss, close parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I, we all knew what you were talking about. I just like to read your notes when they're, they're really, you know. They're meant for my own <laughs> memory and narrating this show. I mean, what else, what else is more blatant of smelling like another woman than her perfume? I know, we all knew what you were saying. I just thought it was funny the way you phrased it. Anyway. But, but she, yeah, anyway, we know that she drops the, this bomb type thing. And for as naive as Betty could be, we can never forget that when she wants to be and when she's determined to be, she's a masterful manipulator, counterintelligence agent, you could almost say. And she does it here after this monologue about it where, you know, some things he does for me, but some things he does are not for me. They're for someone else. Like his sex sex stuff. And then she stands... She, like, sits up and stares directly at the therapist. She's like, isn't this interesting? <laughs> He's like, ah, ah. I was just looking at your shirt again. Oh, yeah. no. Every once in a while, we get glimpses of what Betty can do mm-hmm. when she wants to abandon... Um, Pretenses. Yeah, the Leave it to Beaver yeah. uh, lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, and she's like, well, you know... I suppose that if he's having an affair, it means that I'm not enough for him, but maybe it's just him. Maybe it's just his problem, which is a pretty, like, you know, strong way of looking at it for a her. A really progressive way, like, too. Like, yeah, like, know. it's not my problem, really. Yeah. If um, he is not happy with me. <laughs> yeah. It's been just absolutely fascinating character path from who we met in the Rockwell painting in episode one. So. Yeah, for sure. But we have bigger fish to fry. Namely, the Kodak page. Eastern, Eastern Kodak. I think we've reached definitely a candidate for best scene in the whole season. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so Don, and we're just going to go through this pitch line by line with some quotes because it really, it's so good that you can't just summarize it, in my opinion. Right. He, you know, at first the Kodak guys are like, you know, are you going to talk about, you know, how... I know it might be tough with the wheel, but, like, this is big technology, so you need to balance out those ideas. And he's like, you know, technology is exciting. Technology is a glittering lure, but the public can be drawn in by sentiment as well. He talks about his previous job. He worked in-house at a fur company with this Greek pro-copywriter named Teddy. Greek dude. Big, big Greek, great big Greek family here. Yeah. Big Greek people. And uh, Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. Just so you know, this is a common Greek thing that is real. It's also been done in Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the dad claims every word every is derived word from Greek, even kimono. Yeah. <laughs> but this is something that is not a joke among Greeks. They honestly do do this all the time. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, for context, Elias is half Greek. And half Greek. It's not and I'm Greek yeah. by marriage. Yes. So <laughs> she's gotten a good blast of it. But not. And full. this is what they do. And while he's giving this pitch, he has put in the product that he's running the wheel and he's showing like old family photos of him and Betty and like the kids and various stages. You know, they're Christmas, they're getting pulled around the sled. Betty is like really pregnant. And he has his head on her like yeah, they're stomach. Hot dog and one. Yeah. Yeah. They're like really candid. Like, and you know, to be lucky enough that you can just like use your own family pictures in your advertising pitch because your family is all like fucking models. Like, right. But charmed you, life. And also, I think he does it because it's going to get the right emotions out of him during him saying this yeah and i think as he goes on you see him get a little more emotion again yeah it's john ham acting his ass off and just crushing it and yeah uh it's why this scene just kills it yeah he says this device isn't a spaceship it's a time machine goes backwards forwards it takes us to a place where we ache to go again right he tells him you're looking for the wrong technology yeah here. yeah don't think exactly. about wheels it's not called the wheel it's called the carousel baby Because, <laughs> yeah, he's like... Let's just travel the way a child travels. Round and around, back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. Getting misty-eyed yeah. when he's giving this presentation. Which we could play a little, like, game show game here. What has happened in the last couple episodes then is making it misty what exact point is yeah he's having a lot of like things like coming to the surface yeah so it's interesting to think about that but you know so he's got that shot that says carousel with a carousel horse and Mm -hmm. yeah he came up with a new name they gave him two options he's like i have a different one it's better than both of those and i like to think it's a great shout back to my favorite twilight zone episode of all time and one of the best tv episodes of all time walking distance where the man goes back in time, mm-hmm. car ha- remembers the carousel, and goes back to it purposefully to meet himself and ends up... As a child, yeah. Meeting himself as a child and hurting himself as a child on accident. Yeah. And then having to immediately live with that through his whole life. That's a good point. And so it's it's an interesting thing because it's the carousel... Is, that means the carousel is like full of regrets as well. Mm-hmm. And it goes yeah, back it to the nostalgia. To bring, it yeah. brings you back as well. Right. Memories aren't always happy, which this pitch doesn't say, of course. But, because that you know, is not going to sell. But that is the what we get from this whole episode. Yeah. Is that it's not always... These events aren't always happy. These kinds of things don't... You know. There's more being said than it's being said. Yeah. And... Yeah, and then it flips to the last slide, which is like a picture that I... Pretty sure I was like desktop background <laughs> a year in college, which is like him and Betty on New Year's Eve, like kissing. He's got like the little, you know, nineteen fifty six like crown on. Crown on. Confetti. There's confetti everywhere. They look perfect. He's got a killer blue suit. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. a 
shiny, yeah. really shiny, like bright blue. This is like Technicolor blue. Yeah, so no, it's great. And yeah, just yeah, just four years ago, the world was so much different, so much better than. <laughs> and yeah, so they flip to that scene, and then literally, this is a pitch meeting, but Harry is so fucking worked up that he like bursts into tears and runs out of the room crying during the pitch, and then. The two guys from Kodak turn in stunned silence to look at Don when they turn the lights back on. Duck looks at them and he says, Good luck at your next meeting. I mean, Duck knew immediately. Crane Crane leaving, I think, speaks to his arc through the episode. Yeah, but also just how good of a pitch it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he hadn't had that, he wouldn't have cried, but like. Don teared up at his own pitch. Yeah. But I teared up watching it. But it's it's so fascinating because the two Kodak people come in so smug and Mm -hmm. like but so technical. You can't tell that they're super super creative and they're like, we hope that you were able to fit in (laughs) technology cutting rate technology stuff. And they are just dumbfounded when they turn around. Yeah. And earlier, yeah, Duck was like, please make me look good, Don. And he 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 has the most smug look on his face. Yeah. He's like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, he, everyone in the yeah. room is like, right. oh, that was a home run. Right. <laughs> and what I love so much about this show is it would have been so easy to fall into, like, the, you know... And this is the disparage to my other favorite shows, X Files and Buffy. But that kind of monster of the week theme, where every week Don throws out There's a, a new killer pitch, pitch yeah. and just like sweeps everyone off his feet. They are very sparse with Don actually expressing moments of genius versus like brainstorming. And I think yeah. that this first season is bookended by the only two like genius moments yeah. that he pitches, mm-hmm. and and they're genius in the most completely opposite ways you know like yeah. lucky strike was such a cynical political like capitalist like, approach ca- calculated and yeah. this is like we can do something sincere we can do something that's meaningful and that will hit any person that's literally ever lived yeah. and felt an emotion before yeah and it shows how you know don's perceptiveness isn't just kind of like you know strategy and like what might sell well or play well it's emotional and you know, even though he's not always good with interacting with people, he is so perceptive and he knows what, you know, people's motivations are and people's feelings are and what's going to bring an emotional charge and rise out of people. Right. But he's also good at, like, cultivating his own circumstances perfectly. Because early in the, like, Lucky Strike episode, the first episode, like, he was feeling the most anxiety about his competition with Pete. And so he took a very capitalist mm-hmm. perspective with them. To, like, say, listen, all we need to do is not think about the health effects or the political bad things about this. We just need to get ahead of your competitors. Mm-hmm. But in this scene, he's dealing with a lot more amorphous... I don't want to say amorphous. I think that this episode's amorphous because it's not, like, tied to the history like the last one was. Mm-hmm. It's more of a family drama, this episode. But he uses those family and, like, personal issues and uses that in this context because it's the perfect time to express that Mm -hmm. so a lot of times don channels his anxieties into the perfect pitch yeah yeah and it's all been culminating to this pitch yeah so then they get to celebrate because it went so well um duck comes into don's office and says yeah they canceled all their other meetings they called from the lobby downstairs wow 
Yeah. I mean, was there any doubt, though? Swish. Duck knew in the office. And for all we know about Duck right now, he they said he came from England. He's a big deal. Yeah. He just screwed over him. You know, he screwed himself over with his personal. With the Rosetta Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone, yes. <laughs> uh, so he knew immediately. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, came in. The whole group came in. Yeah. Pouring whiskey from Don Stock. Mm-hmm. And just sucking Don Stock. Except we do notice that him. Duck... <laughs> doesn't take a drink. No, he says not for me. Mm. Yep. Mm. And passes it over. Interesting. And now we get, oh man. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, we've got some other good news. You know, Pete, your father-in-law is going to come in, you know, pretty soon to talk about clear so and we're going to get that account. And then we get Don's other best moment of this episode. Yeah. It's such a good flex. Because <laughs> he's, now he's like riding the high, like. We've seen this before with Don when he does nail a pitch, you know. He's still at the point in his career where it's not just, like, a given. Like, he gets pretty amped about it. Right. And, well, he's he's a partner now, too. So he yeah. has extra power. And so the win comes with, like, more justification to do what he wants. Um, and at this point, he wants to, again, hurt Pete's feelings, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So at first, to put it. at first, he's like, you know, Pete, I've got, a, I've got something that's really going to help your clear self. So campaign and everyone's like ooh like Don has another idea what's it gonna be but you know he's like Clearasil you know he uses those products like young girls you know worried about acne and you know who's gonna be good at pitching to young girls Peggy and so yeah (laughs) and Pete's face is horrified Mm -hmm. and angry but we need to I just want to like kind of touch on whether Don has kind of a Cooper moment here and knows there's more that went on between Pete and Peggy and, like, knows this will especially touch a nerve because otherwise I don't know why this would anger Pete so much in front of them unless Don had some idea of animosity or weird feelings between them. But I'm honestly, I'm at a loss to think of a scene where Don was there when they were interacting. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't take it that way. What I thought was just, like, number one, Pete is so, like, cocky, and, you know, there's still there's still awkwardness about Peggy participating in copywriting because, you know, it's not seen as, like, a job that a woman should have and, you know, that she's not as worthy as, like, the men that have the job. And so I thought of it as something like, not only am I not going to give you more responsibilities, you know, that I know you want, that I know you're desperate for, but I'm going to give them to, like, a woman. Or I am going to give you more responsibility. It's but maintaining more. this campaign with a woman as the lead copywriter. Yeah, like not more power, not right. more clout, just more grunt work. Right. And of course, you know, Pizza Campbell throws a shit, man. Yeah. And he's like, but, 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 but. But he's not even a copywriter. And everyone's like, well, yeah, I should do good work. And Cosgrove says, Belgia Lee was good, but you should have seen her today in the run-throughs. She's like Kinsey with balls. Yeah. And everyone... Fake laughs. It sounds like a real fake laugh. Yeah. But, yeah, Pete's point. She's not even a copywriter. She's a secretary. Don buzzes Peggy in. Peggy! Yes, Mr. Draper. Miss Olson, you are now a junior copywriter. Your first account will be delivering Clearasil to the spotted masses. And she's just... Uh She has a look on her face. And Kinsey says, don't act surprised. Yeah. Because... We all knew. Everyone but Pete no, knew no. this was going Acknowledged to happen. Acknowledged how yes. talented given, she was. And, and given the responsibility she'd already been given, the fact that she was running like a radio ad, basically, yeah. audition. 
no one else is surprised. Yeah. I don't know that even Pete's surprised, but Pete is surprised that Don would do this right now. In front of him, to make a point. And this is Don having, again, John Hamm, a nod. Should have won an Emmy this, for this season. This was, what, 2007, 2008? So it might have been the last season of The Sopranos. So, okay. That's close. But he has the most sociopathic glint in his eye yeah. when he does this He's whole just thing. Like, yeah. This fucking grin. Just like, oh yeah. Yeah. Got like, you. Fuck you, Pete. Pete. Not only are you not going to handle the account, I'm going to put, you know, a woman on it in front of you. How do you like that? And she comes in like David after Dennis, like, is this real life? <laughs> is this real life? Oh, that's an old cut. <laughs> yeah, I won't let you down. Comes right in and shakes yeah. And Pete won't even wait for that. Pete storms out. Storms out. And Ugh. yeah, then that means that Peggy is now the first woman copywriter at Sterling Coop. And we now interrupt this program for two minutes of Jones savagery. <laughs> oh yeah, Joan. You know, Joan has always been a little tough, a little tough on Peggy and her ambitions. And she's like, I said congratulations, didn't I? And then she just drops uh, just a just a re- little reminder bomb. I said congratulations, didn't I? Although sometimes when people get what they want, they realize how limited their goals were. Uh, Did you need to say that? No, it's, no. it's salty, but, but also, just, like, it's just Joan being Joan. Yeah. And she's, you know, and I think, too, it's not even all just jealousy with Joan. I think she legitimately just, like, doesn't get, like, why would you want to be in that, you know, boys club garbage? Right. You could have power. You're smart. You could be have power out here like me. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, I, I think that for all the, like, hard scenes that they've had this season and, like, conflicts they've had, I felt like Joan thought that she was going to... She had a lot of faith in Peggy to mm-hmm. come up. Yeah. In her style. Yeah. Now that's right, yeah. kind of. Now it's really like she's around. going on a different path, an uncharted path. And she warns her. She's like, don't forget us. Yeah. You know? She gets in office with a, like a human, a pumpkin personified, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just as guys. An office is a mess. It's like the worst yeah. office. Yeah. Just a share. But and, it's an office. And even Joan makes a joke about him being her secretary, <laughs> which is just. Poorly taken. Again, just Joan just coming in, wistfully doing her job, and then just hurting a couple people's feelings along the way. Yep, that's Joan. Yeah. But Peggy's like having a stomach ache, like, and she tells Joan, she's like, you know, I think I ate some like something bad off the cart, and she like has to go into the doctor because she's in so much pain, and she, you know, tells the doctor the same thing. You know, I think I have like food poisoning, and he like, you know, kind of like feels her stomach and stuff and he's like well you didn't tell me you didn't mention you were expecting huh <laughs> audience and peggy say what <laughs> what wait a minute uh, uh, yeah you just uh, just like peggy yeah, you're just riding that roller coaster uh <laughs> up the up the you know what the fuck which I mean, then immediately, if you've been watching the show, you think back to all these moments of, like, we see the weight gain, we see, see Peggy. Yeah, having, we're getting hungrier, we see, you know, maybe some hormonal stuff. And, you're like, and it's, like, sudden, and it's, like, weird that it, like, happened so, in such a short time. And then you think back to episode one. You think back. She got birth control, but guess what? It doesn't become effective the next day. So, all right. But she doesn't believe it either. 
No. She, like, gets her stuff and is just, like, gonna, like, walk away. Like, she's in so much denial that she's like, no, I'm leaving. Right. And this, this feels like such an unfair surprise because it doesn't give a lot of credit to... And I'm definitely not an expert on pregnancy. <laughs> but you... But it just blows my mind that you can't sense any... That anyone can't... Someone can't sense... Symptoms. I wouldn't call it symptoms. That makes it sound like it's a parasite. Which that's kind how, of it is. That's how you know if you're like when you're Googling, you know, someone's Googling stuff about being pregnant. If they want, if it's unexpected and, or it's yeah. wanted. Do you Google pregnancy signs or do you Google pregnancy symptoms? symptoms? Yeah, <laughs> like, seriously. You're like, fuck, put me in the WebMD symptom checker. Like, but, <laughs> click on stomach, click on uterus. But pre-Google, pre yeah. you know, she carries a baby to term without knowing it, which is, it's mind-blowing. It's interesting, in too, because it's like her weight gain wasn't local. I mean, you you know, most people gain, like, you know, extra weight other than just in their stomach when they get pregnant, but, like, her weight gain was really, like, just spread out compared to, it. there wasn't, like, a, a noticeable, like, part where it's heavily in her stomach where a baby is carried. Right. And I don't want to say that the show made it super obvious because AMC shows have always had budget issues. Um, and so maybe it, but they went out of their way to make this not great, like makeup sometimes well, in terms of her gaining weight yeah. in her face. Well, I don't think that I don't, I think they were trying to not make it obvious. I don't think that they wanted anyone to know. I, well, I know that's why yeah. I think, but they still went out of their way to like make it clear she was gaining weight. Yeah, just not, generally. Yeah, not the pregnancy thing. I right. know that they didn't want anyone to know until then. But you didn't. Because we didn't. Yeah. I remember when this happened, I was like, what? and it blew my mind. But you remember the show, what was the show? It was MTV or TLC? Uh, I didn't know I, I, I didn't was know pregnant. I was pregnant. Yeah. But it just blows it my mind happen. that, you know, you can't. Well, I think that, you know. There are those situations, like, if you have an irregular period where you might not find it to be, like, odd that you, you know, haven't gotten your period for a certain number of months, or even if you don't have, if you have a regular one, you can still sometimes have periods where it's not because of, like, extreme stress and things like that. The other thing is, like, the lack of information at this time, like, yeah, you know, and, and because she went to that quack gynecologist, God knows he didn't tell her, you need to wait, you know, a month until you... And trust that this is effective. No. I mean, so, it all comes back to that horrible scene where it was a horrible doctor. And But I mean, this is such a brutal scene in the whole theme of the episode because Peggy finally goes from being so alone that she was crying in Don's office mm-hmm. to like, at least Even in her mind, joining the boys club. Yeah. And what is the one thing that you could do to like isolate yourself from the boys club? I'm pretty sure it's having a baby. Right. And at this time. And she how like, this dynamic is. refuses to believe it and tries to walk out and she almost collapses. They catch her. She's in a ton of pain because she's like starting to have yeah. like um, contractions probably or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. And, it's happening. And she's like, You don't understand, like it's not possible and like the doctors like wheel her up to the maternity ward and also call the psych ward. Because she's so like it's just not connecting for her. Just when you thought the climax had happened. Oh, is yeah. Is this the no, climax? Just, I don't know. It's, it's like crazy. the most, like, yeah, shocking scene of the show, for sure. But then we wind down and we go around the wheel again, actually. And here we are, back in Pito. 
Yeah. Wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lessons that we should learn. Yeah, name so that. Ma- name that kid show. Wheel of morality. Turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lessons that we should learn. I don't know. Animaniacs. Is it really? Yeah. Wheel of morality. Well, we'll see when the <laughs> reboot comes out. If they still yeah. use that. Um. Yeah. But we go back to Pete's home. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's drunk. Yeah, he comes home mad drunk. And Trudy really could have played this cooler when she goes up to greet him. She, like, kisses him. She can smell the alcohol in his breath. But rather than just not saying anything, she's like, oh, were they having a party at the office? <laughs> and it's like, Ooh, Trudy, Trudy. Trudy walks out of, like, this family rich family portrait like it's mm-hmm. the ring and it's the the ring woman oh yeah Pete. like yeah. they're all standing there in like this perfect triangle and she walks over to him mm-hmm. calls him out and he's just like oh my god i come home to to this now yeah. and i have to I can't deal with deal. this again yeah and uh he throws his jacket on the floor and goes to bed mm-hmm. and he, well again let's talk about the old gardener mentor over there like he's just saying all right yeah you should go to bed now but make sure you're awake later <laughs> knock up my daughter <laughs> dad could you stop saying that to Please, my husband really stop <laughs> talking about me having sex with my husband it's brutal but pete again just he's dejected uh, yeah he's broken, brutal. a broken man and he doesn't even know that his baby's about to be born to another know. woman so yeah yeah that's kind of the sad <laughs> irony of this during the episode is you know they're He's being pressured about, like, having a baby, and meanwhile... His baby's being born to someone else. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. The show is so cruel in so many ways, but it's... That's what it does. Yeah, but then, you know, however many hours later, we're back at the hospital, and the nurse is bringing the baby over to Peggy that she's delivered, and she's like, don't you want to try to hold him? And she just turns away silent. Yeah, let's add another slide to the wheel of loneliness, and here we are with another new human being brought into this world, basically solitary. Yeah, she's rejected the baby, she's not even acknowledging his presence, and that's that's the end of that. You just feel so bad for everybody, really. (laughs) Yeah, no one really shakes out good and well in this uh, episode. But Dawn's going home on the train, and it's like party time, because it's like the long weekend, the Thanksgiving weekend started. It's like in high school. We used to have the day before Thanksgiving break started, and we'd like, you know, leave early or whatever, but the last period of the day, they did this thing called turkey bingo. (laughs) And it was just like bingo, but like, you know, it was at that point in high school where, like, things kind of shifted back to, like, where it was, like, funny to, like, ironically be super excited about stupid shit. And so, like, everyone just, like, got amped about turkey bingo. And it's, like, all everyone talked about the leading up, week leading up to it. And what the rule was if you got bingo, you had to run down to the office and you had to gobble the whole way. And we had, like, a three-story, like, building and, like, a big, like, staircase in the front. So people would just be, like like seniors some of them you know nearly you know young very young but like adults Adults. like gobbling at the tops of their lungs down at the thing to get and you got like what a sucker or like a candy bar yeah but it's and you're but you're like we're going out on break like everyone's excited yeah 
Yeah, and that's weird, because to me, it made me think of, like, the first Thanksgiving you come back from college, and everyone's, like, going out, and, like, got their fakes, and, like, uh, yeah. and they got their college sweaters on. Yeah, and they're, like, like talking about all the like, cool stuff they did, yeah. all the drinks, all the, how much drinking they've been doing. Yeah, and, like, you know, I've been, yeah, I've been really getting into, you know, like, Eastern European politics, <laughs> and I just think it's so interesting, da 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 where are you going to school again? Mm-hmm. You know, you were my best friend in high school, but I didn't, yeah, it's been right, a while. Yeah. Lost touch. Do you, like, yeah. do you guys smoke some, like, good weed at your school? Because we have, like, the <laughs> best weed. Cool. Yeah, but it's just, like, this train is a mayhem. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's a party train. Um, <laughs> but, oh, no, so John much. goes home, he, like, comes in, and, like, he, Betty's, like, you know, got the car packed up, they're about ready to go, but he, like, surprises her. He's, like, guess what? Tell the kids I'm going to come along to Thanksgiving after all. And the kids are like, Daddy! And everyone's like so happy. And she's yeah. like so happy. And then it was a dream sequence. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's... I mean... Yeah. No, he comes home alone. Betty's left already. He's alone. He's sad. He's a sad dad. Matt Wheel turns one more click. And he's alone. He sits on the bottom of the stairs. And the best music cue of this season. Bob Dylan's Don't Think Twice. It's all right. Yes, which is interesting because it's a really bitter breakup song. It's a saddest song. Yeah. And that's it. That is how season one ends. Wow. Lots of digest there. Yeah. I like your Thanksgiving meal is a lot to digest. <laughs> Let's take a nap. <laughs> Trip to fan and red wine. We made it. We did. Wow. Season it's one in the books. Yes, our final episode rankings though next episode we're going to do the M Emmys. Don't we yeah, we'll have some awards and we'll bring back our friend and we will uh, talk about our favorite parts in many different ways in the next episode. But yes. anyway, we have to finish this episode off as we always do. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite quote from the episode? My favorite quote was the entire wheel pitch. <laughs> Start to finish. Also speaking of things that I you know, obsessed over when I was a young college student. You know, in on Facebook, like, the earlier versions of the profile, they used to have just, like, a little box, like, under your profile picture where you could put, like, whatever text you wanted. I had just a YouTube link to this, this pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for, like, a year at least as my Facebook information about myself. Well, that's... That should be jumped <laughs> into at some point, probably. <laughs> Um, Just call my therapist about it. It's fine. <laughs> I uh, I think that I'm going with Joan's line at the end. I just love how savage mm, it is, mm-hmm. like, where she just says, you know, when people get what they want, they just realize they, how limited they were, their goals were. Mm-hmm. It's just a good respite from mm-hmm. a very intense and emotional episode, and yeah, it's just a moment of Joan just, like, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, good call. All right, lead us off with your favorite outfit. You know, it's like the one you pointed out, the Dawn and... Don and Betty's outfits, what we can see of them in the New Year's picture, but Don's especially, he's got like that, it's like a navy blue plaid, but it has a sheen, tuxedo, bow tie, 1956 garland crown, confetti on his shoulders, Betty's wearing like a, a lace blue dress with, you know, a big diamond necklace and big diamond earrings, and... It's a phenomenal end of the pitch picture they both look great 
I agree. It's it the looks best. beautiful. It looks romantic, and yeah, he yeah. looks. It's the New Year's picture we all stunning. want. Someone. To oh yeah, us, right. You know? This is the New Year's kiss you dream but, of. But I'd also <laughs> uh, point out Dom's suit during the pitch, which is just black suit, white white shirt, black skinny tie, white pocket square, mm-hmm. clean, ready to do his job, confident, pure looking. Yeah, and it does. It looks great. Yeah. So, who are you hiring and who are you firing? I would say I'm hiring Don. Yeah. Of course. I mean, after someone makes such a pitch like that, mm-hmm. it's so hard not to just lean out and say, this is what we hire you for. Yeah. Which, you know, on the family side, there can be some debate about that. But at the same time, I mean, you get so much from this episode, and you get a culmination of so many things working out in this perfect moment. And the perfect moment is actually him on the stairs at the end, mm. um, actually dealing with his current situation. Yeah. Um, so I, I promote him in this episode because I think he's just done so much work throughout this whole episode that we yeah. finally get to see a lot from him. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's my initial impression, though I think that, you know, how, how difficult he leaves it with his family stuff, you know, detracts a little bit from the shine of, of his work accomplishments here. So if not him, the secondary person that I would say would be Duck. For not doing a lot, being kind of annoying, but like standing back and like letting you know the talent flourish and you know observing and correctly saying, knowing he's he's the man here and you know your job is to help make him look good and give him a place to shine. You could say ducks off to a quack start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I one th- could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well I went first for that, so who would you fire in this episode? Puns aside. Unless gonna, you have more puns. I'm gonna fire everyone else except for Bert. Oh no! She's having a fire! Sam! <laughs> <laughs> everyone else except for Bert and Glenn. In the whole episode. You're firing everybody. Except um, Duck and Bert and Glenn. That is your that is your well, bitch. <laughs> I mean, Kinsey didn't really do enough to not be fired, not be fired, but listen, Pete gets screwed over and is being, you know, pressured at home. Trudy is in an awkward position with her parents on one hand and Pete on the other with the family stuff. Trudy's parents aren't getting a grandchild, even though they are pressuring for one. Betty has to talk to... A child about her problems because her husband is both cheating on her and talking to her therapist. Therapist is getting calls at night from the wives of people he's trying to talk to. Uh, who else we got? What about Peggy? We gotta talk about Peggy. Peggy didn't know she was pregnant. But also got a legitimate promotion. Yeah. Like an unheralded, unprecedented promotion. Yeah, but she's gonna have to wait a little while because she had to go away. That is a 
brutal <laughs> assessment at the end. Wow. Cosgrove had to go on a date just to fix a work problem. I think Cosgrove was fine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was already planning on doing what he was instructed to do on that. But all right. Who else? You fired everyone. Who else is part of this episode? Christina the flamethrower over yeah. here just throwing everyone out. Tossing them out. You're done. What is this, season three? You're done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who, who do you pick? Oh, I'm firing Trudy's dad. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, all he does is come in and put so much added pressure on this relationship. Mm-hmm. And then he dangles Clarisil after all this talk in front of Pete. Like, and we don't know how much backstory went into that. But it feels like they made some sort of deal like, alright, we're going to make this baby happen. I didn't. I, it seems like a carrot sense. that he's dangling. Like, But they get, the, they get it without... We don't know. We don't know that. We haven't had the meeting yet. Well, not yet, but we know. We as the the subject matter experts know. I'm still firing him. Well, yeah, I fired him too. I mean, you. No, that doesn't matter. You fired everybody. That's not fair. I did a reduction in force. That is not even fair. Who said I couldn't? I'm just saying. Defeats the. You just flame through the. I kept some people. I'm out there looking for survivors to fire. The whole place has <laughs> been flamethrowed. <laughs> anyway. This episode was rated number 18 out of 93. It got a 9. 92, yeah. It has a 9.0 on IMDb. So it is tied for 12, between 12 and 19. It's 18 because of the amount of votes. Yeah. Uh, so that puts it actually ahead of Nixon versus Kennedy, which right was the last episode, mm-hmm. by by vote count. They have the same rating on IMDb. Yeah. And again, we've said before, IMDb is just a good way to see the popular consensus. Yeah. Um, we have our own ratings here. We do. Where would you rank this episode, the finale, at the end of the season? It's my number one. It's, you know, it's tough between this and the last one, but this, I mean, you know, it's just the emotional turns that each character takes here and, you know, the, the ways that their storylines have kind of built all to this moment and the Kodak pitch, really, Don Draper is presented to you in the first episode as, you know, this kind of wonderkin that everyone's buzzing about and, you know, he... Ends on a strong note. Yeah, delivers pure genius. Yeah. At the expense of his family, sure, but he's, you know, he's the ad man. What about you? Um, it's number two for me. I mean, it's like the the show ended this season like as well as you could end a season with a one-two punch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of shows that know what they're doing always do this. Yeah, the second act is also... It's, it's like Shakespearean, you know, where the fifth act is like the climax and the last one is the real denouement. Denouement. Mm-hmm. Um, where everything kind of ties together, but sometimes nothing... You know, in TV, nothing ties together because there's another season coming, etc., etc. But I just love the chaos of Nixon vs. Kennedy so much. And I like that so much more than... The way this ties up in such a depressing way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, that's not to say it, I would. It's almost like Nixon versus Kennedy is one A, and this is a one yeah. B type thing, where it's even that hard to distinguish between the two. But I just think that Nixon versus Kennedy had so much more fun to it, which I appreciate early in the show. That can really be not a lot of fun, as this episode proved. Where if it takes something like nostalgia mm-hmm. and like happy memories and twist it to like be a slideshow of everyone's like. Bottomless pits of their lives for the first time. Yeah. But, but I think it's just a genius way to end this, end this season too, uh, with a genius pitch with that kind of like, and the show's always done that, but just like flash, flash, flash to people feeling so isolated and lonely, lonely, and the exact opposite of the pitch he gives. Yeah. And uh, man, it it literally just. It's weird that it's it's not really a cliffhanger in any way, mm-hmm. but it's like it is a cliffhanger in every way. It's like this the same thing we said about the show being like sometimes you feel like nothing's happening, mm-hmm. but then when you really think about it, so much has happened. And yeah, the show's just geniusly written in that way, and so acted so well acted that wow brings a little tear to my eye. Season one over, I'm just like Annie in the booth trying yeah. to get that line I'm right. Just like, you know, trying to get that perfect end of the season right. Oh. Well, we we finished season season one. We finished season Mad one. Tonic, so cheers. Cheers. Love, and that is it. Love you. Love you too. And we will be back in a couple weeks. Oh, I know we've yeah. been a week to two weeks. Yeah, we've been slow on the output, but we've just been busy. You know, busy work work work, work stuff. Sick, and then me turning thirty. So mm. it's a celebration. But we will be back in a couple weeks with our awards show. The, the first annual MMEs. <laughs> and then between seasons, we'll have a couple kind of like little like bonus, like mini episodes, you know, of some other Mad Men content, but, you know, other types of things that aren't episode recaps. Right. So. We're not leaving blank for yeah. a while, but we will be Maybe. getting started with season two. It's not going to be that long, but we're going to take some time, really try and deliver some more memeable contents, and the, and hopefully, uh, you know, build this up. So yeah. thanks for listening. Please, if you enjoy it, rate us, tell your friends. We're trying to just, you know, build people that want to watch and talk about the show yeah. with us. And uh, feel free to, you know, we run the Instagram. I run the Instagram. Thank you. Christina runs the Instagram, <laughs> but we would love to hear more from everybody about what we can do. And I don't want to hear any suggestions. But <laughs> I want to hear that we're doing well. But cheers to everyone. <laughs>